This episode of TTSA Talks is part three of a three-part series about the UAP data problem and features Two Stars Academy co-founder Tom DeLong speaking with TTSA Artificial Intelligence Advisor and partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers, Joe Sherman. For more information behind the episode, please read the footnotes to this podcast on tothestarsacademy.com. Hey everybody, Tom DeLong here and welcome to the To The Stars Academy of Arts and Science podcasts. We're, uh, we've decided to let some of our team out of the basement and speak for the first time. Uh, we were able to talk to Lou Elizondo about the data that we're collecting at To The Stars. We were able to, to discuss kind of the data that he got at the Pentagon, some of the issues with the data, and some of the things he was missing and uh, that he wished that he had access to. Um, and one of those things was artificial intelligence and combining data from all over the world in certain ways that he couldn't really do while at the Pentagon. For example, he couldn't just leave the Pentagon and go talk to civilians, or he couldn't just reach out to other governments. There's a, there's a whole chain of command. Um, there's a whole you know, security um, situations with how the military can do things with civilians versus, you know, uh, for example, the FBI can do a lot of things with American citizens that the CIA can't do. Well, the DOD has its own set of rules as well which really kind of hindered the study of UFOs at the Pentagon because they couldn't bring in a lot of the data that they needed. So when he left the Pentagon, one of Lou's first ideas was, is how do we crowdsource data and do stuff within a private organization that the government honestly can't really compete with, at least in this type of data collection. So the idea of putting together what we call the vault, which was a database where everything comes into it and it can be studied uh, and find, we can find patterns and predictive analysis, and we can continue adding to it over time. And um, during that time, uh, Joe Sherman, who is on our scientific advisory board, approached Chris Mellon, who we talked to as well um, uh, on uh, one of the other podcasts. Uh, and Joe showed up out of nowhere, uh, and he is an AI architect, and he came to our organization with a plan that um, – was robust, cutting edge, and really exciting because it helped us just leapfrog from where we were to today where the system is now built. So we're going to talk a little bit with Joe today. Um, let me give you some background on him. So uh, Joe has provided software engineering services for Microsoft Research, NASA, uh, within the White Sands Missile Testing Facility and the Johnson Space Center, uh, the Department of Defense, and the USDA, amongst many other organizations. He's spent over 25 years in the technology industry and currently leads cloud product engineering services as a partner at Price Waterhouse, also known as PwC. Uh, and let's welcome Joe here. Joe, you there? Yes, sir. How are you doing, Tom? I'm good. So we have a lot of young people listening, a lot of young adults, um, and like I, they might not know, uh, w you know, what exactly it is you do or what Price Waterhouse is. So it'd be probably be best for you to explain what your company does, why they use AI, and why um, AI is important for uh, for some of the bigger companies and the bigger data crunching um, throughout the world these days. Yeah, sure. So PwC is a big four firm, started out as an accounting firm, uh, but they do global consultancy. So we have over 250,000 employees globally, uh, a little over 2,000 partners uh, globally as well. And we're really focused in on uh, multi-industry technology. So there's an advisory or consulting part of the organization that's really multi-industry. And then we have tax and audit on the other side. So both organizations work together, you know, with our, our customers to really kind of focus in on providing high-end consultancy. Now, within the advisory organization, uh, we have, you know, different 
parts of the organization that focus on business uh, capability or technology, you know, et cetera. And so I fit within that uh, digital technology and innovation group and run cloud and artificial intelligence uh, within that organization. Now, we are verticalized, so we do focus on specific industry verticals, and my vertical is healthcare. And so uh, specifically within that, you know, we use artificial intelligence and cloud technology to help really help, you know, organizations understand, you know, how to integrate data from a patient perspective, from a provider perspective, from uh, genomics and phenomics, uh, as well as uh, really integrated medical device supply, pharmaceutical uh, integration, clinical trials, you name it. So AI really helps us from the perspective of being able to mash all this information up and really come out with some predictable outcomes and capabilities uh, that we can analyze to make future predictive capabilities moving forward. So how does, how does you know, you know some people will probably hear this and kind of go, okay, so you, you're using AI in healthcare and obviously healthcare is a big deal. It's probably, if not the biggest industry on earth, one of them is far, and it's so complex because you're dealing with vaccines and DNA and as you say, personalized healthcare, but there's so many restrictions and security measures. Uh, that's why you always hear doctors say HIPAA compliant. Um, you know, when somebody's listening to this and they're kind of going, you know, you, you came out of healthcare, how, how would you understand what's needed for something like the, this AI using it for unidentified aerial phenomena? You know, how would the DOD and other government organizations utilize something uh, like this if you're coming at it with experience, you know, kind of in the healthcare world, um, how does it relate? Yeah, so I, I would I would say from a highly regulated uh, perspective, uh, the, the similarities there are you, you have HIPAA, you know, compliant or high trust certified data that you're dealing with in healthcare with this phenomenon that could touch, you know, military organizations or government you know, organizations, you have regulated data there as well in terms of FedRAMP, et cetera. And so I would say there's a similarity with respect to sensitivity of some of that information. And I would say that even extends to consumer-based, uh, you know, media and sightings and incidents too. There's privacy, you know, that you have to take into consideration there from a personal consumer perspective, just like you would a patient uh, as you're dealing with data inside of an EMR system or a provider system. And then from a, you know, an AI usage scenario perspective, you know, when I reached out to Chris, and we connected on, you know, a, a capability or a, a discussion around how we could use something like this for the UAP phenomenon. Uh, really, it's just a, an exchange of uh, different data types coming into the system, uh, as well as the different types of reporting and, and predictive capability on, on the outside of the system. What I mean by that is, instead of being able to pull in, you know, genomic information, provider data on a patient from an EMR system, you know, all that related data uh, that resides within a healthcare system, we exchange that for video, you know, documents, audio recordings, um, you know, stuff written on a, on a napkin, you know, et cetera. Any type of documentation of any media type would be that type of data ingestion for UAP. Now, on the reporting side, we want to provide, you know, outcomes that are really specific to this scenario. So, instead of reporting on, you know, how a genotype would be uh, would have some sort of gap analysis between that and a virus uh, being uh, genotyped or gen genome sequenced you know, from that healthcare perspective. This type of perspective is we had an incident or a video that a individual happened to see. Uh, when we run that through our system, if it's a video or an image or a document uh, of that incident or, or situation, we want to know exactly what happened at the time and date of that specific situation. So we also pull in information uh, related to, you know, FAA, weather data, et cetera, to under understand what the conditions could be that might have presented that situation or made that situation or incident ripe for that opportunity. And then on the far end reporting and analytical side, you know, what are the predictable outcomes that we could provide, such as, 
you know, what conditions might exist to where that incident might reoccur or what sim similarities in that incident in, in and of itself could relate or correlate back to other incidents that have been collected over time. So that's, those are just a few examples of the differences in the two, you know, industry-based applications of that capability and the individual data sets themselves. So I'm going to translate uh, some of what you said from genius dialect down to human English. Uh, the way I understand this for all the people listening is, um, so one of the issues was, you know, Lou couldn't have access to all this data. So our idea, Lou's idea coming out of the Pentagon studying UAP was what if we were able to pull in all the videos that are out there, when people in real time take videos, documents that are unclassified or classified, satellite data, maybe we throw in ancient texts, maybe we throw in um, just uh, FBI, Homeland Security, FAA flight tracking, weather anomalies. So we have this one box, one house, where everything is ingested in, and it's somewhat limitless of how many types of data can go in there. Then we're able to find patterns of what's happening, and this will start to tell us things are happening at this time frame or on this, these intervals. Things are happening to these types of people. These are the types of things that people are seeing over and over again. These are the types of encounters and, and things being witnessed that we can trace all the way back to the early texts of the Bible or the Dead Sea Scrolls or the Vedic texts, etc. So this is why it's so important. Then we can also say, wow, something is happening right now in Denver. We can ping everyone's phone in Denver to lift it up and video it from all different angles. And then we can say, wow, we can triangulate on this, understand its size and where it's located. Um, and so many things, we get so much metadata. So this is why Lou was after it. But the funny thing is, Joe, is that I can't really tell people what AI is. I, in my head, I think that everyone knows, you know, we all know what it is. It's like, oh, it's a computer that thinks, you know. But, uh, like, what is, like, what is AI, honestly? Because I've never actually asked you that. I, I think I know what it is, but I bet you it's different than you would say. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. And anyone that says that they can do AI, you know, really doesn't understand AI. AI is, is a moniker or a term. So it's what's in parentheses of AI that makes AI what it is. Artificial intelligence is made up of, today, it's made up of, uh, you know, deep learning and thinking and, and computational capabilities that you would build and train models uh, through machine learning capabilities. Uh, it's also automation. It's also robotic process automation and integration services. So it's really a combination of all these things together. And I would say there's an extension of that, which really blends into another feature that we have within uh, the vault itself, which is uh, this relational graph database surface. So really finding uh, you know, trends and uh, relationships between disparate and diverse data types. That, that's another, um, you know, capability that you would tie into deep learning as well. But all of those capabilities in a nutshell and in summary make up what is called artificial intelligence. Now, if, if you think about true AI, and that's a machine thinking on its own, right? Uh, we haven't really proven that that's truly capable yet because any starter process to a machine learning process or a data pipeline in and of itself requires a human to tell it what to do. So let's think about this in terms of a feature that we have around data authenticity for this subject, right? So we want to understand if a certain object type or aircraft or submersible object is real or not real, right? So we have a whole series of machine learning based algorithms that go through and understand was the file tampered with? If it's a video, you know, what is the layering behind that if, if that occurred? If someone tried to fake uh, the video in and of itself, what's the point of entry? What's the point of exit? Uh, are there pixelation issues around the object that we're looking at? After we go through all of that, that side of it, 
uh, and you know, grabbing audio transcription, translating that audio transcription, uh, et cetera. Uh, we want to really understand, you know, what it, how does that relate back to the overall system? And then how can we, from an authenticity standpoint, once it passes those stage gates of file authenticity and uh, you know, late, you know, nothing has been tampered with with that media type at all, then we can really, you know, have to, we really have to sit down with an individual, you know, from a military organization or, you know, someone from the team, basically, that, that can say, okay, it's past all these stage gates, it's, this looks real to me, we've seen other objects, we're going we're gonna to quasi-classify this as real, that becomes a marker, right? So, we take that marker, is that, that object now becomes uh, a marker or a label. So that Within the, next the database. A marker within the database. Actually, it's, it's a marker within the AI machine learning library. So right. if I had, uh, just as an example, let's say white tic-tac object, right? There's a video of a white tic-tac object. Some of those videos might be fake because they've been tampered with, they've been layered, there's weird pixelation around it. Someone really tried to get away with making that a real video. But let's say one gets through, right? The video is not tampered with. This is a clear shot. Uh, there's no question that this, this video in and of itself is authentic. We don't know what that thing is, right? But we've sat down as a team, we've talked to professionals, we've talked to military organizations, and they've deemed this as a potentially real, authentic, you know, aircraft, right, or submersible. That then gets added to our machine learning library as a marker or label. Then the next video or the next image or the next document that comes through is going to match up against that individual marked image or video, right? So if, if that video or image that comes through the second time also is not tampered with, and it meets the specifications, some very detailed specifications, because we have, you know, vi computer vision looking at the specific object and grabbing all kinds of dimensions off of it. So if it meets that that amount of uh, parameter-based data, then it also might be marked as authentic and then added again to our library. But it requires that human manipulation in between to tell the machine what to do. And then from there, it can start learning on its own. So that's kind of where we're heading in terms of true AI. Hopefully that that helps. Yeah. And so, so why did you choose to work with, and for the people listening, Joe, um, he, he was the architect for, for our AI system we call the vault um, for unidentified aerial phenomena. And it's something that we know that our government friends um, could really use, really want, and could help. Um, uh, and so when you came in with the design of how to build this, right off the bat, you wanted to build this with Amazon's AI uh, R&D team, um, what, what was the purpose of that? Because I think a lot of people probably don't even know that Amazon does AI, you know, uh, unless you're in that business. I think normal people use Amazon every day. It makes sense that they would have something like that. But why did you choose them and what are they all about? Yeah, and I wouldn't say that AWS is the clear differentiating, you know, leading vendor in all aspects of, of cloud technology, but they do have a leg up when it comes to uh, a, a builder's uh, cloud system. And the reason I chose AWS, and there is a clear distinction, there's Amazon and Amazon Web Services. They're both part of the same company. Amazon Web Services or AWS is actually the service that supports Amazon.com. So when you're shopping on Amazon, you're using the Amazon Web Services platform. So it's the most extremely robust cloud platform in the industry by far. And they continue to iterate on products and services that are cloud native, meaning they are cloud-born or they run natively in the actual cloud environment itself for services like artificial intelligence. And there are some products within there like Recognition or Comprehend or SageMaker. Uh, these are all products that have an open source kind of concept in terms of they've built it for a general purpose or, or skill set 
and then you can take that capability and extend it for your own uh, services, your own your own ability, like like what, like what we've done for here for uh, for Vault and for UAP. So, you know, in terms of robustness, in terms of that that builder capability, and then part of the the solution that we've uh, put together here and that I provided some advice for is. Uh, really to try to pro- provide a collaborative and, and open environment. So when we build this, uh, and it's, I mean, when it's completely in production, you know, we've already been building it, but uh, when it's completely in production, we want to have the ability for researchers to come in and assist us in curating and, and adding to our machine learning libraries so they can write their own algorithms, like bring your own ML. We want to have data that's uh, subscribable to consumers and to other organizations so they can make use of the data that we process. And then the entire environment in and of itself, we set it up using a cloud formation service to where you can script this entire environment and run it with one click into your own Amazon Web Services environment. And then the entire service is up and going in seconds. So we want to share that you know, entire capability to other organizations or other research organizations that can continue to build on top of what we've done. That's the overall goal. Uh, just to not, you know, hoard this and keep it just internally within ourselves, but also share it with the community at large. What I thought was really cool about how you designed the system was specifically how it can, how it does live in the cloud completely. Um, and for the people listening, uh, what's exciting about that is when you go to the Department of Defense, they have extremely um, strict guidelines and specs of how something has to be built to work within their security environment. So you can't just say, hey, we have these servers over at Two the Stars and we want to hold your, we want classified data and we're going to manipulate it and give it back to you. It doesn't work that way. Um, and, and that same thing if you go to Italy. So we were invited uh, onto the military bases to talk to a bunch of people within the Italian intelligence and then invited down to the UFO programs um, in, uh, I think it was Brazil and Argentina. I can't remember where Lou went, but that's not important. But we were brought onto these military bases to talk about the ongoing programs, their UAP, UFO programs. And something like what you designed sounds like we could go and say, like the Italians are not going to start shipping us their sensitive radar data, but we can go and help them deploy our system in their building, in their environment, in their secure location. And we can do that to all these governments around the world and encourage everyone kind of adding to the system. But if they, you know, I know something I never asked you, if they launch this, like say that the Italians launched this in their environment and say the Department of Defense, uh, you know, in DC at Pentagon launched it in their environment, does their data still go to the same database? Uh, they would they would keep it separate probably for their own secure environment, right? It's, a, it's in their own tenant, yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, now they can choose to, to share that information with us, obviously, or we can access it if they give us access to it, but no, it would be within their own tenant. Because I, I, I do know that they want to share. Like, I do know that one of the issues with these governments is that, you know, they want more information. They want to work with the United States. They want to get all these countries together to try to solve this as kind of humanity, not as single specific countries. And I think that's kind of what our role is at To The Stars is to be the center cog in a wheel where everyone is feeding their play, their info into one particular place, but we have solutions for them if they have sensitive data where we can launch it in their environment. What do Absolutely. you, um, what do you think, um, you know, before we get into how, how you got involved with us, you know, what, what do you see down the road here in the next two to four years, once this thing is really doing its work, what do you think that um, is going to be possible that never has been based on your conversations with people at the Pentagon? 
uh, honestly, you know, one of the things I always say is software is never done, right? There's no real done. We want to continue to create a platform and iterate on top of that, you know, continue to gather feedback from our fans and our consumers, our, you know, the, our customers, the, our partners, and then build that, that, you know, iterative based feedback into features of the platform. So it's, it's never going to be a finished product. It's always going to be an evolving capability that we want to continue to make relevant uh, in terms of its capability and how we share that, you know, with, with other organizations or consumers. Um, I would say like starting where we are today, we wanted to have a foundational platform ready for video image document, audio recording ingestion, have some uh, capabilities that help us under understand if a document or a media type had been tampered with, and then the, the extent of the entire data pipeline in terms of processing and gathering additional metadata and then relationally graphing that information together and reporting on it. That's what we've done so far. Uh, to add more features such as, you know, deep fake analysis using human dynamics and, you know, adding some other capabilities around data authenticity, testing new reporting tools, integrating with other services. I mentioned you know, weather and, and flight data, but accessing, you know, sensor information or getting access to, you know, other satellite information out in space or NGIA for animal migration and other types of planetary shifts. That, that's stuff that we want to continue to prioritize as far as product roadmap and, and backlog. And again, gather more feedback moving forward. There's a lot of people that have encounters that, that have biological issues or they, you know, maybe they have missing time or they can't really remember something that happened the night before. Maybe there's marks on their bodies. And, you know, um, rather than going and, and getting doctors to do x-rays and this and that, one thing they could do is sit down and tell their story. Um, what I found interesting with one of the other companies to the stars has been meeting with, and I won't say who they are, um, but they have a really cool system where, you know, we could interview them and take you know, an hour of their, their testimony and, and uh, they can discern, I think it's like 86 different attributes about their, the way they move their body and their mouth and their eyes and their hands and the tone and their voice. And we could start to understand if they're under stress or if they're lying or all these different things. I mean, they did it on me with the system and it would just blew my mind. Could that be a sense of data that we put in here with people? Don't give that to your spouse, right? <laughs> if, someone, if someone doesn't have a video, you know, but they can, but they had an experience. Could we use a system like that to break down all the data when they give us their testimony and then have that be a, go into this as well? Would that work? Yeah. So uh, without having met uh, the partner that you're discussing, we had actually built that into our system. And so there are, when I say human dynamics, there are capabilities using computer vision that do just that. So outside of file tampering, layering, pixelation, all that good stuff, um, the study of human dynamics has to do with the way that we portray and communicate. And it's, it, it is super hard when you're uh, using computer vision for an autistic patient or uh, someone that is, you know, that has Asperger's or, or some other uh, condition that would lean itself toward just like a spaz like me. You know, I've been just constantly talking and moving around. But there are defensive mechanisms that we, we don't realize when we're talking like, you know, certain blinking of the eyes or defensive measures with our face, you know, or we, we tend to turn in a defensive way to avoid, you know, a certain question. Those are things that you can leverage computer vision to pick up on. There's also uh, sentiment analysis that we have in our, in our system as well to gather, you know, what, what is the emotion of the individual that is communicating? And it's not just the facial emotion, but we're, we're combining both facial emotion as well as using the audio itself and understanding are there tremblings or changes and distortions of the audio as an individual is speaking. Uh, those sorts of things are all in combination. So, 
you know, with or without, you know, the partner that you're discussing, that is part of the, you know, the, the product and part of the capability that we run through. Now, obviously, that this is just focused on, you know, uh, UAP phenomenon capability and uh, any other type of similar scenario where you would want that kind of video. Um, and in addition to that video testimony, we're grabbing scene detection, object detection, uh, really understanding what's going on in the background, speed and trajectory of, of objects in and out of that video as well. And then other types of metadata layering information that we need to grab. And, and at the end of the day, you know, we're just pulling as much information as possible into this dumped, you know, relational graph database and trying to find using our data model, what are those relationships amongst those media types. And we've discussed a few opportunities of how we're going to launch this. Um, most likely one of the versions, uh, the early versions, if not the first version, will be hooked up in real time to many different pipelines of data that are feeding it all day long so we can display some of these relationships in real time. But people won't necessarily be able to go in there and, uh, and play with it just yet. They'll, we have an app called Scout that we'll be launching that will help um, people ingest their own videos, documents, their own data into the system. But down the road, how do you see people playing with this? Because it sounds like you've built it in a way that people could add to it. And it's almost an open source architecture to some extent. But you talk a lot about the relational graph databases, which I've never really asked you what that means exactly. But will people be able to manipulate that and see different things and enter different things? And someone might want to say how many white Tic Tacs were seen from 1950 until now. Or somebody might want to say what is the ethnicity of a lot of people that have encounters. I mean, who knows what they'll say, but will they be able to do things like that? Yeah, so to be, to be clear, so day one, what we want to be able to do is produce the ability to have dynamic reports that are available on the TTSA website. So as they're using Scout to capture incidents, they're seeing that reflected in this dynamic reporting that's available through our website. You know, day two or iteration two would be we open up that machine learning library so that you can write your own queries and curate our library to attack the data or massage the data slash manipulate the data to get it into a new visual format. And then additionally to that, be able to slice the data in a way that you want to see, you know, certain bits of information. So instead of having a dynamic report that's focused on this view, like we wanted to give you chunks of data that you can play around with, you know, collaboratively on the site and see things like you just discussed, you know, population-based information, object-based information, um, you know, even a, just as simple as a, a listing or directory of all of the results in a, uh, a search, like an NLP-based search. To extend that even further, what we're actually playing with right now, just to give you a teaser, uh, we're using a, a service called Lex. So Lex is the NLP-based voice service that sits behind Alexa. So we're testing a service where you would walk in or you just don a pair of, of headphones, et cetera, and use your voice to say, I would like to see X, Y, Z. Uh, then that actually goes through a service uh, called Sumerian that connects to an AR, VR headset. And then you'd actually be able to see all the visualizations in augmented reality and virtual reality and use your hands to manipulate the data. And if you have users that have you know, purchased an Oculus Rift or Google Glasses or you know, et cetera, I could see a situation in the future where we have individuals that are playing with data at home, you know, using AR and VR and say, Hey, I found this similarity here. If you guys check this out, here's this module. And really, you know, in a realistic minor minority report type scenario or Ironman type scenario, we can actually work together collaboratively, collaboratively from that. Fashion. It would actually be really cool too, using augmented reality and pushing events to people's phones. Like if someone's like, for example, I, I, I had a, a pretty sizable 
UFO, uh, UAP event a few nights ago, as the team at TTSA knows about, um, watch this thing come up and split and go horizontal into multiple lights or a little red light comes out, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, it would be interesting, you know, where if people were walking down that beach, if their phone got pinged, if they had the app, they can open up the app and it could show them kind of what I saw or it'd pull up some of the videos or it would kind of recreate that using their camera augmented reality so people can start to understand that these events are happening everywhere. This is potentially what they look like. So that's further down the line, but I was thinking that would, that would be cool because a lot of people, you know, they don't know how to really frame it in their head about, yeah, someone saw something off the coast of San Diego and they just hear about it, but to see it in the same location might be kind of interesting. I think there's three features there to, to be aware of. So one would be if you saw something, the alert that goes out to others to let you know, let them know where it was seen. I think two, kind of like that see it in your home type scenario where you you, you want to buy furniture or you know TV from Best Buy, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. It yeah. takes it takes your object, right? And then it uses AR to place that object in the view of that other individual so they can experience what you experienced and maybe that helps them identify something that they saw. And then the third scenario would be as we gather real-time information with respect to factual data that occurred on the date and time of an incident, then we can predict or at least try to predict what situations or, or scenarios might be conducive to having that episode you know, or incident happen again. So we would send an alert saying, hey, you know, Tom and, you know, Mary and Jane, they all saw, you know, this object at this time. These are the conditions that are right for it. And go head down to Encinitas to go, you know, grab your camera and sit at this restaurant and you might see something. Yeah, I love it. Um, how did you uh, hear of TTSA? How did you reach out to Mellon? Like what, when, when To The Stars launched, how did it come I across? Think, I think you want to know that. <laughs> yeah. How, well, how did it come across for you? Uh, you know, one of the questions that, uh, everyone wanted to hear from you on this was, you know, like, how, how did we get on your radar? And, and how did that? How did that work? Uh, the only time I have time for TV is when I go to bed. So late at night, I have a couple of shows that are recorded. One is Oak Island, and the other one was yours. And so when I saw your show, I just kept, you know, seeing this, this capability. I'm like, man, I, I know that we could, you know, push this information directly into our platform. And I've seen, you know, bits and pieces of ancient aliens, you know, before as well. I think there's a clear distinction between our focus and, and some of the other shows and, and their focus. And I'm not saying the other shows are, are uh, you know, bad in any way. I, I think there's value in all of them. But um, the idea here was to figure out a way to use the, the capability that, you know, I've, I've been used to using and gather the team that I work with that, uh, you know, we gel so well together and we sprint really fast towards these specific outcomes and jet out this, this capability really quickly uh, and then apply that to this this offering. So I reached out to Chris because of my background with uh, JSC and, and White Sands and you know, NASA, et cetera. And just said, hey, look, you know, I've got an offering here that might make sense if you guys want to use it. You know, all I can do right now is provide advice you know, to your organization. I can't do anything you know, competitive uh, based on being a partner at PwC. And, and really, that's kind of how the conversation started. And so far, you know, everyone on the team has been phenomenal. Um, you know, literally everyone at TTSA, uh, including you know, the, the folks that are actually building graphical design for the website. You know, this whole group, uh, I believe, is definitely meant to be together. And I think uh, that passion that we all have for, you know, being curious and, and seeking to understand others without shutting other ideas and, and uh, opinions out altogether and just keeping an open mind and really using our collaborative uh, curiosity and intellect and experience and capabilities that make us unique, I think is, is why we do so well together. So it's been fun so far. 
You know, um, one of the things I'm really excited about uh, the To The Stars Academy artificial intelligence system that you built is that it's going to help create some scientific methodologies to discuss difficult things. So what I'm excited about this is that this will help us find some patterns where we can say over decades, people are seeing this. Right now, we can talk about a lot of advanced aerial technologies that are associated with this. At the Pentagon, they backed into this, the science on how these things fly based off observations of witnesses. Uh, they were able to observe characteristics about how they behaved in the air. And that was, you know, that gave our partner, our founding partner to the stars, Dr. Pudoff, um, a basis to get into how does this work within general relativity? And, and he found out how, you know, and that's why we came out and said, we're going to chase this technology. But there's other things that people see all the time. You know, they might see a humanoid figure, um, you know, and, and that's, there, there's millions of accounts of this, but I don't have a tangible way to talk about whatever somebody saw. But if this AI brings together thousands of cases of describing that humanoid figure in a certain way, we can now have a scientific methodology to discuss something that seems pretty far out there, that seems pretty elusive, that seems like it's not something people can readily digest if I just threw it out there on the radio, national radio. Um, do you agree that this will help us bring out some of those weird, more elusive tales that exist within the UAP world? Yeah, I mean, the, the, I, absolutely. I think the, the goal of this is to really represent the, the things you're not thinking about, the, the surrounding items that, and conditions and patterns that people aren't even putting together, right? So you, you might have a situation where you've seen you know, something, some, some, some sort of entity, but you weren't realizing that this, this other pattern exists where others are seeing the same thing, or the pattern might be you, you know, you might be the type of individual who's similar to another individual that is conducive to actually seeing something like this, right? So those are the things that we want to, you know, be able That's to show and uncover. And then I want you to be able to walk into a room when you're doing your presentation and say, look, I want to see X, Y, Z, and boom, it's everywhere. And then you guys can just play with whatever, matching related, you know, data that you want and pull up any, you know, corresponding image, video, document, audio recording, et cetera, that comes out of that. And then also say, hey, these are the conditions that existed or these are the patterns that we found that really correlate to these incidents and these people overall. Uh, what, are, what are some of the, the first features of our app and how it will help people kind of interact with the data and how will it grow from there? What do you, how do you see those steps unfolding as we release this stuff? Yeah, so I, I believe uh, Scout MVP1 or Minimal Viable Product one, Release 1 is really to provide a mobile application that you can you know, add on your Android or Apple, uh, your, your iPhone, and be able to collect and, and really you know, record an incident that occurs. And then after that incident recording, then you're going to specify specific detail that we need to help you know, add to that incident that is being captured in terms of the metadata that surrounds it. So let's say, for instance, you're capturing a video of a white tic-tac object, when you're done hitting record and you stop and that, that information isn't captured, there'll be a series of questions that are popped up that talk about, you know, what was its point of entry? What was its point of exit? What was the color dimension? You know, if you thought about, you know, size, you know, what, what, what would it look like? So we get all that additional data that you typically wouldn't get off a YouTube video or something that was just sent to you randomly via email, you know, et cetera. So that's V1. Uh, part of V1 will be to link up Scout and Bolt. So we want to be able to have consumers that are using Scout to capture incidents that are then, uh, you know, 
cleansed in terms of uh, cybersecurity and, and other types of scenarios where we want to make sure that we're not pulling in, you know, nude photos, nude videos, you know, profanity, stuff like that. So I'm sure people are going to do that. Um, and then once those land, those into ones go to my own database. If that happens, <laughs> we'll set up a private filter. Okay. Um, so, so anyway, from that perspective, as those come through, we want to be able to pull that into our vault, you know, environment and then process those images, videos, documents, as we would other databases and other services. So when the pandemic hit, um, I kind of had this epiphany that you might have known all along that, I, that uh, you know, I was like, oh, my God, you know, I bet you our AI system could help with the pandemic somehow. So it started a whole bunch of discussions um, that, that I know you brought up a few of these um, of how the AI could work in so many different industries because it doesn't really matter. And correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't matter what kind of data goes in there. It's going to give you predictive behaviors and analysis uh, of all that data. Um, so what are some ways and in, in industries that this AI is going to help? Uh, I have always known that you wanted to take this AI into so many different places uh, besides doing it on UAP. What are some of those places? What are some of those ways it could help? Yeah, so before we even started the UAP discussion, you know, at PwC, I'm working with clients that are uh, really focused on genome sequencing. And so a concept that I had there was to leverage genome sequence integration with EMR patient data and then mash that data together to really find... What's that, what's that mean, EMR? Uh, I'm sorry, electronic medical records. So every provider, uh, every hospital that you go to when you sign in you know, for your appointment, you're going to create a record in a electronic medical record, like a Epic Software, Athena, Allscripts, Cerner, et cetera. Each hospital has their own. So it has a record of your data. That's the biggest problem with healthcare today is that your data exists across multiple platforms, multiple software systems, across multiple provider networks, um, and they're not all the same, right? So anyway, it's it's grabbing that information and genomic information and what I mean by genomic information is, it, let's, let's take COVID-19 as an example. Uh, when these viruses come in, you have geneticists that actually map the genome sequence of the actual virus. And then you can take that mapping and match it up against the human genome sequence. So if I was going to create a personalized therapy or vaccination for Tom DeLong, I have Tom's genome sequence. I have COVID-19's genome sequence. What are the gaps? Create a cure, inject you, and you're good to go. We could also give you better muscles or... You know, since you're all jacked already, it's not a big deal. But uh, I have a you know. few things I'll talk about <laughs> offline on this. Right. Yeah. There's there's some other features that you can you upgrade. Uh, <laughs> right. But uh, and that's kind of the scary future of medicine from that perspective. But again, back to the back to the technology. Um, you know, being able to take disparate and diverse sets of data, so patient data and genetic data, they're not the same types of data, right? So being able to grab that information together, and then in this case for COVID nineteen. <laughs> You know, be able to find specific cures or, or therapies or vaccinations that are personalized. Because if you haven't noticed, there are patients that, that use these, you know, one-off you know, vaccinations. I won't name names or names of medications, et cetera, but they may work well for the you know, general public, maybe 40%, 50%, but the other 60 to, you know, 50% are dying or have some sort of weird symptom, symptomatic result or, or scenario or aversion to that specific therapy or vaccination. So what if we could set up a dynamic way of any net new virus that comes through, automatically genome sequence it, match it up against specific genome sequences based on population, health, ethnicity, et cetera, and then have that information correspond with patient data so that you can grab a population data grab of individual patients in a location or based on ethnicity or based on 
age group and then create clinical trials that are designed to test those out very quickly and get feedback from the testing results back into the pipeline and create predictable outcomes on the outside of that from an analytical viewpoint standpoint and then say, okay, we're not all ready to go in production for this therapy, this vaccination and, and these test kits, et cetera. So that's just an example on healthcare. And you could do this for the music industry, for I mean, you name it. It's data in, data out, probable outcomes, and artificial intelligent analysis. Even just over this past week, I uh, have had some really great conversations about how this could be used in the entertainment industry and in the finance industry. I think it's kind of the sky's the limit. And, right. um, and for the shareholders that are listening to this and for other people that are interested in being a part of To The Stars, that's, that's where it gets really exciting is when we create a product that could grow and be um, potentially the biggest thing we got going because it can solve so many issues in so many industries. I remember this week bringing up uh, the capabilities of this AI system to uh, my record label, which is one of the biggest uh, record labels in the world. And they were like blown away because they get so much data. It's weird too, because it used to be like you produce a song and then you go out and you hire your radio team to go, to go press um, these radio stations to play the song more. But now it's all about streaming. And it's like, okay, we got these streams on YouTube, but then we got the video streams on YouTube. We got streaming on Spotify and it's just all over the place. But then it's also getting played in the background of videos that are put up on YouTube, not just a video that a band puts up, but someone might film them dancing in a living room of themselves. Well, YouTube can now track that song in the background. So they're getting all this weird data. Like, you know, a lot of people like to put it on at a party. A lot of people like to hear it on Spotify, but they're not really listening to it on this platform or this one. And so they're trying to figure out how to grow an artist based off all these weird pieces of math, you know? And so I, I brought up what this does and they were just over the moon about it. And, um, and I think it's really exciting for the shareholders in TTSA to know that we have something pretty explosive here that's pretty cutting edge. Um, the way you built it in the pipe, uh, the pipeline in the cloud, can you explain to our fans and our shareholders why that's so cutting edge? Um, why building AI in the cloud is not something that's everywhere already? Yeah, well, I'd say just lack of experience or um lack of capability all of and, and actually applying something like this. I, I think over time, you'll, you'll see organizations that have this capability. I think we're definitely first to market in our thinking and our experience in, in being able to develop something like this. But I think the real value, like you said, Tom, is that central core, right? So all of the data pipeline elements in terms of ingestion of diverse data types, you know, you mentioned the music industry. So in that case, you know, we want to set up API streams to SoundCloud, to Twitter, to Facebook, YouTube, you know, et cetera. And, you know, we can even detect if someone is infringing on a license agreement uh, based on similar rhythms, beats, et cetera, using AI for that, but also for real-time sentiment analysis, right? So the, the ability for us to really switch the way in which this, it's applied from an industry perspective, you know, UAP for Vault, but uh, in terms of finance, entertainment, you know, healthcare, et cetera, that switch is just a difference in the data that you ingest, how you use it, and how you report it, right? So that, that's really the value there. And then applying the specific outcomes to it is, is really the, the output of a product that you would create and sell. Well, my last question for you today here is, uh, you know, you, you come from this powerhouse healthcare industry. You've had some work with NASA 
uh, in the Johnson Space Center in the past, but it wasn't your primary job or location you worked at necessarily. Um, but as you know, I've been putting you on the phone with various multi-star generals from various places that deal with the UAP phenomenon. I uh, put you on with the head of the program that took over for Lou, uh, which we can't say his name, but uh, you were able to give them a rundown. How does that make you feel that you're now talking to these guys that have been uh, working kind of the biggest, most controversial issue, but the most important um, in some ways, and always really, because to them it's it's the most advanced technology. It's probably the scariest subject because it's so poorly understood. and it's also the most classified in many respects. You know, these guys will not talk to anybody. Um, but somehow I've earned their trust over the past few years to be able to hold conversations with, with people like yourself. How does, uh, what's going through your head now that you're telling them that you built something that could help them? Uh, it, what, do you think that's, uh, is that a wild place to be? Uh, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, and, and how you've been able to really orchestrate all of this and use you know, your, your special skills and your ability to really curate, you know, key talent, I think is uh, a true gift. And thank you for that, by the way. And um, honestly, having that platform to have these discussions, for me, it's, it's more about putting something into execution, right? So we have something that works. Let's go see it work. Let's go build together. That, that is where I'm at at the moment. So these conversations are those, those starting conversations to really create a platform to go do that, you know, within each individual industry and see the results. Because I want to get to a point where we're getting as much feedback as possible so that we can iterate and continue to make the the solution better. And we can only do that by, you know, having these opportunities across these diverse industry sets, which are relationships that you have and you've been able to really, you know, enable, you know, for this. And uh, I'm very grateful. So it's it's pretty awesome. It was cool. One of the early conversations I had with um, arguably... Uh, the most important um, uh, general out of the group that I was working with, I remember a couple of years ago, I brought up Lou's early idea of creating a system that has an AI component that can crunch data from you know, its crowdsource that's worldwide, specifically because Elon Musk is creating a space agency that's outdoing NASA. You know, SpaceX is doing stuff. NASA, private industry has taken over, yeah. uh, you know, the, the government might, might have created ARPANET, but when the internet came out, Google took over, you know, so. If That's you have a right shock. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Yeah. So I, I remember telling this, this particular general um, that we wanted to do this, this. And I remember at the time it was like all caps, the response of that is wonderful. All exclamation marks. Like, you know, like I really took a lot of pride in offering something that I thought could really help and you helped bring that to fruition. And, and um, the call, one of the few calls we were on with some of these sensitive people, um, one of those persons was that particular general. And um, it was really, I had a lot of pride in being able to say, look, we're putting this on your radar. This is a little bit about what it does. We'll get back to you in a minute. Um, once we show you some, some more data and how it's working, but it's the beginning of, you know, um, following up with when we really executed this stuff. And that's how I got so far with these guys is I said, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And I actually did it. You know, I actually did everything I told them I would do. And, um, and that's how, uh, you know, obviously being humble about it and, and being respectful and, and learning kind of where my place is, it all added to it. Um, but now coming back around and executing again, it, it's a big deal. So um, it's really exciting, but thanks for your time today. Great. And yeah, uh, my pleasure. Thank you. 
we're gonna have a we're gonna have a really long road with this stuff. And for the people listening, um, the Vault system by To the Stars Academy is now built, uh, but it will be in a uh, in a constant state of evol. Uh, it'll be evolving constantly in the future, and we'll add to it, and it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's just like Google does is is constantly changing and constantly getting bigger and better. So we we have a big big highway that we're building for this thing, and uh, it's exciting. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, Joe. And thanks for coming on. Thanks. Appreciate it. Have a good one. For everybody listening out there, uh, if you want to be one of the first people to know when the Scout app and the Vault database AI system is available, visit tothestarsacademy.com and join the email list. And we will be sending out all the updates of what we're doing here shortly. For more TTSA talks, please visit tothestarsacademy.com.